Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Recorded live. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talk Now Radio, brought to you by... Talk Shoe Radio. As y'all are well aware by now, we're a fairly new show here, hoping to build an audience as we go along the way. Uh, of course, now Talk Now Radio is listener supported, so in a reaction with my website or with the uh, ads in the Google archives, whatever does help keep me uh, on the air, and it also helps keep the uh, censorship out. Uh, in a few minutes, I'm going to be joined by Richard House. We're going to talk about his book. Uh, I think it's when and now. Uh, I may want to check that title because that doesn't sound right somehow. Between now and when. I knew it didn't sound quite right. <laughs> uh, doing an early check-in, I'm still trying to get used to talk to you and, you know, the fact of not wanting to sign in until the very last minute with a guest on hold and something maybe go wrong. But then do that, I had to fill out, figure out how to fill this airtime while I'm waiting for the clock to tick by till I can call my guest. That reminds me, I need to copy his number and get it ready. While we are waiting for the show to start, everybody, I want to encourage everybody to visit my YouTube archive over at, uh, well, Mr. Paranormal at YouTube uh, is one of them. One of them's... Uh, Supernatural on uh, Talk Now Radio on Supernatural and Talk Now Radio on Revolution Radio, and then there's uh, Talk Now Radio on Mr. Paranormal. These are three different uh, YouTube channels for three different shows that I do live. Uh, we got a whole, you know, list of um, archives over there where, you know, I've been archiving them at. So that you, when you folks can't make it, you don't have to miss the show altogether. For those of you who are not familiar with me, uh, I've been hosting for about eight years. About two years ago, I came down with emphysema, and by the time I found out I had it, I was already in the fourth stage, so I have severe breathing issues. Uh, the fourth stage is the last stage, by the way. I've also had to be in and out of the hospital several times uh, just since last Halloween. It was about 13, 14 times, and four of those times I was in a coma. So I have not been the most reliable host in the world over the last two years. I thought I'd take advantage of this opportunity to let you people know about that so that if you're expecting to show, you come and I'm not making it, you could probably figure out that I'm in the hospital again and that I will reschedule it when I get out. When I'm home and well, I'm real good about keeping up my shows, real good about being punctual. I do enjoy what I'm doing here and I'd do like to do a good job. I just have to do what my health allows me to do. If anybody would like to contact me and either be a guest or recommend a guest, you can contact me at Redneck Radio Man 
at comcast.net. You can also suggest a topic matter you'd like me to cover that I may not have covered yet. And I can pretty well assure you I will cover them all over time. <laughs> uh, i got a variety show, so it covers everything. Now, what I'm looking for right now, folks, is the call-in number here. So I can go ahead and give it out while we're waiting. And that would be 724-444-7444. If y'all want to call in and ask questions, feel free to do so. Or make comments or say hi to the guest or whatever. Also, you can leave questions in the chat room. Don't be bashful about inviting your friends to come uh, join us live. And don't be bashful to send them over to our archives. The more, the merrier, I always like to say. Looking forward to any newcomers that come. Looking forward to seeing the people that's been here with me for a while, which I haven't built any of those up yet. And let me take a peek see real quick and see what I got coming up. Well, as you all know, tonight we're talking to Richard House about between now and when. But then next Monday, my guest is going to be Marie D. Jones. We're going to talk about her newest book, Mind Wars. And i got to tell you, folks, I've interviewed Marie D. Jones, oh, my God. I'd guesstimate about 20 times over the last eight years. And uh, she's always a fantastic guest. She's a rather prolific writer. She's always got new topics to write about. And this time it may be her and her partner, Larry Flaxman, both. She has to get a hold of him and see if he's going to be available or not. If not, she says she will. Um, she's got some of the most interesting books I've ever read, and I've read most of her books. And she's also, um, I've read this one, Mind Wars, in other words. Very extremely in-depth, good information, verifiable information. I'd recommend it to anybody. If you want to go get it, you can get it at Amazon.com and read it and have it ready by the time the show starts to ask questions if, you, if that's what you'd like to do. Now, let's see what's going to be next on the list. <laughs> And then July 27th, which is also Monday, right here, we're going to have Timothy Wiley and his newest book, Wisdom of the Watchers. And Timothy's only been on my show one other time. However, that time that he was on my show, we really clicked, and we clicked rather well. The show went excellently. He's a great guest. Um, some people may not agree with his material because it's channeled information, but... Uh, a lot of the books out there are, and a lot of people want to shoot me for saying this, but let's face it, the Bible was channeled. If it was channeled by God or the Holy Spirit, it still came from the other side, the spiritual side, either way you look at it. And yet we all accept it. So why should any other book be any different just based on that alone? Thank you. Y'all check it out. Give them an ear. If you don't agree with anything he says, I think you'll find them entertaining if nothing else. So I you know, challenge everybody to show up for the show and put any um, prejudices you may have or preconceived notions you have aside. 
In fact, I'd prefer you do that with all my shows if you could. And that's going to be pretty much it in the near foreseeable future for over here, at least as far as July goes. I have booked some shows for August, but they're all for Thursday. And just to let everybody know, I don't like to advertise uh, my shows on other networks uh, on this one, and I don't like to advertise this one on other networks. Uh, you know, but just to let everybody know, I don't do this regularly. I do uh, have two other shows I do every week. One's on Thursday at Revolution Radio, and the other one is every Saturday at 1 at Supernatural uh, Network Radio Live. And uh, all of these are being posted over at YouTube. And the nearest thing I have coming up on a Monday after July is going to be in September. God is an astronaut with Gala Groom, September the 7th. And uh, if y'all keep checking in, those Mondays in August will get filled in as I go. I got some invitations sent out already, waiting to hear back from people. I show we got two minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and call my guests. Hello. Hello, Richard. Yes, Royce. Yes, this is Royce, and I'll just let you know before you go any further, we are already live and ready to go. <laughs> well, great. Let's go. All righty. Now, usually as a rule of thumb, Richard, I uh, like to ask all my guests to kind of introduce themselves, let the listeners know a little something about themselves and what it was that interested them in the particular book that they wrote about. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, I've been practicing medicine for about 40 years. I started off uh, as a tradi- traditional pract- uh, practitioner in ear, nose, and throat. And for the past 24 years now, I've been doing acupuncture and esoteric healing. So I live in North Carolina on an organic farm and uh, enjoy life. How's that? Sounds pretty good. I'm assuming that it's a sudden interest in holistics that's uh, led you to write about your near-death experiences? <laughs> well, actually, it's a bit more than that. Um, what happened, actually, I, I, I think it would be best if I uh, start off telling you about uh, the title of the book. Sure. Uh, it's called Between Now and Flynn. And the reason I uh, entitled it that is that it's sort of uh, what happened with me. I was uh, living a fairly ordinary, ordinary life, and then, which I would call the now, and uh, I was catapulted into something that was vastly different than what we usually experience, and and that's what I call the when, which actually 
is uh, a higher dimension. Now, the catalyst for that was um, a long partnership with my buddy Jack Daniels. <laughs> Are you familiar with him? <laughs> uh, I think I've heard of him and his brother Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, friends. Uh, so, after a period of time, uh, that brought me to my knees, and uh, <clears throat> and that's what gave me uh, the first real inkling that there's a whole lot going on that uh, doesn't meet the eye. There's a huge infrastructure that lies underneath this visible world. And, of course, I had no idea at all. But uh, let me start off, unless you have a better idea, with uh, how it all began. Sure. Sound good to you? Sounds great. (laughs) Okay. Uh, About age seven, um, well, first of all, I was born in California to a good family. My father, a dentist. My mom, uh, involved in academics. But anyway, at age seven, I was standing underneath this huge uh, cedar tree that my grandfather had planted uh, many years before. And uh, I suddenly experienced this incredible sensation of oneness with everything that there is. Now, I I think the Buddhists call that satori. And it's not uncommon, but I think it is pretty uncommon in seven-year-old kids. (laughs) But it certainly was uh, an unusual experience for me to the extent that I became more than just a little kid. I had this sort of identity that was far more vast than anything uh, that is ordinary. And uh, as a matter of fact, I started trying to figure out what and who I was. And the only thing I could come up with there's this strange name that seemed to fit, and that was Ichen of all things. I C H E N. And Ick. from that, yeah, Ichen. Sorry, I just had to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Ichen, right. So, so I started calling myself that. However, I'm here to tell you, my my parents were not happy with that, and so it wasn't wasn't long before two things happened. The experience faded. And uh, and I started calling myself Richard again. <laughs> my parents didn't like a lot of things I did. <laughs> uh, you know, that's just the way it is when we're growing up. But yeah. that mystical experience was really how my story began. Now, nothing much happened um, other than me just being a kid in California riding a skateboard and, and uh, doing all that until I was... Uh, about 13, and that sense of being connected to something bigger than myself suddenly disappeared. It was instant. It was just gone. And for the first time in my life, I felt really alone and uh, fearful. So what I did was sort of revert back to just being a kid, but the, the sensation I had was of extreme loss. Now, it wasn't long after that that I had another mystical experience, and in this uh, case, it was sort of a, a message that I got that 
you know, it wasn't words in my head. It wasn't a voice, really. But uh, it was this sort of message. It was quite clear. And I presumed that this message was from God himself. And the message was this. You will die when you're 33. Now, that was an alarming message for a teenager to get. Wouldn't have been and, the first uh, thing I wanted to receive for a Christmas card. No, no. And I really didn't know what to do with that. But, you know, teenagers do feel this sense of immortality. And so I kind of pushed that whole notion aside and uh, just started living life, you know. What do you do with that? But I firmly believed it. There was no question in my mind. Um, But uh, I just pushed it aside. Hmm. Now... But what happened then, of course, um, I was a good student and uh, decided that I needed to uh, follow my dad's footsteps in the dentistry. And so I entered a, a really good university, Butler University in Indianapolis, and uh, I found two wonderful things. I found out, I found love, and I found Jack Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> By golly, in college, particularly the fraternity, they teach you how to drink. <laughs> oh, yeah. And way so, too much. <laughs> way too much, yeah. So, so that, was, uh, that was my introduction to what would become uh, quite an issue in my life. But anyway... At the end of my sophomore year, I had uh, a 2.3 average out of four points. That is not good. But it was probably good enough to get into medical school, I mean into dental school. But again, Royce, I had one of these crazy notions that came into my head, and it was like a message. And it was this. You don't need to be a dentist. You need to be a doctor. And I thought, wow, I had no idea of being a doctor before that message came. And furthermore, I didn't have grades that would would even possibly get me into medical school. And so I thought, well, if this is a message from God, he's got one hell of a job ahead of him. (laughs) (laughs) Or he's going to give you one hell of a job. Uh, That's precisely what happened, yeah. (laughs) So... I um, moved out of the fraternity house and quit seeing my girlfriend that much and uh, started hitting the books. And uh, Somehow or other, I got my grade point up to uh, a 2.7, which is, is dismal. But Enough to get in? It was. And what happened was that even though my grades were terrible, I, I had a terrific interview. <laughs> And during the summers, I had been selling encyclopedias door-to-door. And uh, if you want to be a good salesman, that's the way to do it, knocking on doors. And so I had learned, and I gave them a pitch, I'll tell you. It's from my heart, yeah. But at the end of that interview, they were convinced that I wanted to be a doctor. And so uh, so I was admitted. And by the way, I was a, a good medical student. I was I graduated in the middle of my class. So we got the job done. 
barely? Yeah. Now, <laughs> uh, I did find that medicine was my calling. And, you know, I you know, loved helping people uh, get better. Uh, I loved surgery. Uh, I, I was really good at it. And uh, by this time, I'd been married. And so I got an internship out at L.A. County Hospital and really learned about humanity. And at the same time, my drinking uh, um, increased tremendously. And uh, it wasn't long before I was having some problems related to that. You know, marriages don't do well in the face of uh, drinking. Have you noticed that? Yeah, my wife had drinking issues. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I used to drink about six 40-ounce bottles of uh, uh, malt liquor every day without a fail, but I sipped on it so slow it wound up in the pot before it ever did in my brain. Wow. Well, I guess we a lot of us have to go through it, don't we? <laughs> Well, I just I I actually enjoyed the taste. I never never was one to want to get drunk much, but I do know most people who drink they enjoy the feeling when they get drunk. Yeah, as a matter of fact, when I when I was drunk, uh, the fear went away, and that is a tremendous incentive to keep drinking. <laughs> oh, well, that might be why I never got hooked. I never really fully understood the concept of fear. <laughs> Well, I, I guess in your case, that's a blessing. It really is. Yeah. But uh, just to continue, uh, what happened then is that uh, I got into practice. I was doing very well. And uh, I had a young daughter and driving fancy cars. You know, the gentleman doctor story. Right. Um, lived in a nice house. Keeping up with the but, and the Jones. Oh, you betcha. You know, I had a nice Porsche and a BMW. No, at that point, I only had an Audi. I hadn't made the BMW yet. Yeah, in the operative word. <laughs> exactly. But also, I started getting really sick uh, and, and fearful. The more I drank, the more fearful I became. Uh, and I started, um, and of course, I only drank at night, you know, after I got home. But... One day I was looking down at my belly and I saw this little little red dot on my belly. And uh, I had seen those dots on many of my patients in the VA hospital, and I knew exactly what it was. It, for the doctors out there, it's, um, it was a spider hemangioma. And it only occurs in people with uh, advanced cirrhosis of the liver. And so uh, I had been very good at my drinking career. And so here, and guess how old I was? Probably not old enough to be going through that. 33? Yes. <laughs> my God, I thought I had it bad being in the fourth stage mm-hmm. emphysema by 55. Uh, well, some of us are better at this stuff than, uh, than others. I bow down to your expertise. <laughs> <laughs> so... Just uh, just like that message uh, that I got as a teenager, there I was, 33, and I was getting deathly ill. So eventually I ended up uh, puking blood and was admitted to the ICU at the hospital. 
And uh, one of the doctors who was an acquaintance of mine came up to me and he said, say, Richard, we've got the lab reports back on you. He said, do you drink, buddy? (laughs) And I said, oh, yeah, beer now and then. (laughs) But um, he said, well, I've got some bad news for you. He said, your liver is shot. Uh, and the bleeding that you have is being caused by bleeding esophageal varices. Now, what that is, is these swollen blood veins in the, in the swallowing tube that uh, burst. And because it's in the esophagus, there really isn't any way to stop the bleeding. What it also means is that the liver is not able to... Uh, get blood to go through it in order to detoxify all the things that are circulating. And so what he, what he said was, uh, well, we've given you 20 or 18 units of blood, which were donated by friends and family. He said, um, I don't really see that there's any point in giving you any more blood. How do you feel about it? <laughs> and I said, I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm sick, I'm tired, I'm scared to death. I said, why don't we just call it quits? And he said, well, I think that is the best thing. So he said, "Um, say your goodbyes to everybody. Uh, We're going to stop the blood, and in a a day or two, you'll you'll be gone. So that's what we did. And I, I was ready, man. I had had enough of this life. But uh, obviously there's more to the story, isn't there, Royce? <laughs> well, you're still here. That has to say something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, that night, somewhere around 2 or 3 in the morning, um, I experienced this incredible sensation. And that sensation was comfort. For the first time in my life, I was really comfortable. It felt right. The fear went away. The suffering and pain went away. And I was comfortable. And I thought, wow, if this is dying, bring it on. <clears throat> and that sensation of, of uh, comfort got even more pronounced until I was experiencing which, what can only be called bliss. And it's something that is so beyond what we experience uh, ordinarily that it was just almost magical. Now, at the same time, I noticed that I was sort of drifting away from my very sick yellow body. I had jaundice, of course, and uh, was sort of um, detached from, from that physical body. And I was sort of like in the clouds or something like that. People have asked me if I saw some kind of light, and I really didn't. Uh, And other people have asked if I saw entities, and and I didn't see any entities either. But what I felt like was just this joyful, wonderful uh, peace that is beyond description. And at that moment, Once again, I uh, felt like I was receiving a message from God. And this time, it was an interesting message because he said to me, you will heal and work for me. And it wasn't like 
there was uh, a choice or anything like that. And there was no doubt in my mind that what I was hearing was accurate. And so I was sort of like mentally, I said, well, okay, that sounds good. And uh, so presently I felt myself sort of drift back down into that yellow body. And I knew I'd been in some sort of higher dimension. But as soon as I went back into my body, I had somehow taken that a portion of that dimension with me. And as soon as I hit my body again, it started to heal. And I was so sure that I was going to be okay. The first thing I did is start ripping out all the IVs and stuff and trying to get out of bed. And some nurse came in and said, oh, no, Dr. Howell, she can't do that. And I said, yes, I can. At least get me some water. And so they did. And in a day or two, I was out of the ICU. My lab reports all went back to normal. And a couple of days later, I was out of the hospital. Pretty amazing. None the worse for wear. Well, for the most part, uh, that's true. It, it did take about two or three weeks before I really felt like um, <laughs> you know, I was back to pretty much normal. But, but it was an amazing feeling. I was filled with this joy and this excitement that I had never experienced in my life. But one thing is true, uh, and that was that I had a real mess on my hands, you know, outside of the hospital. I had a practice that I had to uh, resurrect and get back into working. And uh, my family issues were were significant, and and so I had to deal with all that. But it really didn't matter. But an interesting thing happened. I was uh, on a putting green. You know how doctors always play golf. That is the reputation. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was on the putting donut shop. (laughs) Exactly. So there I am on a putting green, and all of this is a hot day. And I thought, I think I'll go in and have a beer. And as soon as I had that thought, I thought, really? After all of that, how could I even consider something like that? You know, even though I knew that I'd been healed in some magical, mysterious way. Um, the doctors before I left uh, had said, now listen, even one drink, you know, and that's it, but you're done. Uh, you know, it's amazing, they said, that you recovered because no one recovers from what I had. They couldn't believe it. But they said, don't drink whatever you do. And so I said, sure, no problem. And there I am thinking about drinking a beer. So what do you think I did? I think you probably did drink it, and it didn't have the effect they warned you of. Well, that did occur, but that was much later. <laughs> what I decided <laughs> to do instead was uh, I, I decided to hook up with AA because I knew they had the most experience in, in not drinking when your mind wanted you to. And so I did that for a couple of years, and I worked with the folks in AA and uh, did some speaking and all that kind of thing. But that's not really the mainstream of the story. That was sort of a sidebar. What really happened, first of all, my wife, had, uh, when I was, when the doctors told her that, she, that I was going to die, she fell in love with uh, one of my golfing friends. And uh, so um, 
as these things go, we were, uh, we split up and I was alone in the big old house and there was no furniture and I was feeling kind of sorry for myself at that stage. Uh, and, uh, one day I couldn't, one night I couldn't sleep and I got up and I was staring at the floor tiles in the den and, uh, all of a sudden they became luminescent with this incredible beauty that I had never seen before anywhere in anything. And these are floor tiles, but I was just mesmerized with the beauty there. And this, this experience lasted for maybe two or three minutes, something like that. And then of course it faded. And I thought, well, what is that? How can that happen? And that was the first of many of these experiences and I had no framework for it. I could be walking down the street and all of a sudden I would be walking in this wonderland where everything was incredibly beautiful, where the fears and the, well, not really fear, but the worries I had, like about the practice and, you know, all that other stuff, it just went away when I was in that place. You know, I could think about the fact that I was broke and that kind of thing, but there was no emotion attached to it. It was like a, a Disneyland almost. And uh, But yet I'd look around and it would be the same things that everyone else sees, but they were just incredibly beautiful. Now, I didn't know at the time, but later on I would call that the subtle world or the next highest dimension from where uh, most of us hang out here. And uh, so those trips to the subtle started becoming more and more frequent. And and so I decided I needed to find out about what it was and why am I in it and why doesn't everyone know about this? Are you with me on that? Right. <laughs> Natural curiosity. Exactly. And so... So I asked um, a fellow in one of the AA groups, I said, I, you know, I pulled him inside and I said, listen, I'm having these incredible experiences. And um, I said, do you have any idea what's going on? And he said, well, yeah. And so he said, you need to, you need to read this book. And it was this, he handed me this book and it was called The Art of Meditation by Joel Goldsmith. And uh, he said, you need to start meditating. He said, this happens to people, but it's usually after years and years of meditation. So he said, I guess you've been given a sort of a boost. Um, and, and so I read the book. And so that began my lifelong practice of meditation. And uh, I started understanding thing sort of independent of what I was reading you know I started figuring out that there is a lot going on that we don't see and I started figuring out that every one of us is on some sort of spiritual journey even though it doesn't seem like it a lot <laughs> whether we know but it or not <laughs> whether we know it or not precisely and so I was getting more and more excited about all this <clears throat> And uh, one day I had another one of those crazy deals where I had a, a message. And, and by this time, I'm getting this feeling that I have this sort of guide or captain who's giving, sending me these messages. 
and uh, at crucial times to get me go- going the right direction. Well, this time the message was, you're going to quit your practice and go and leave. Hmm. And, you know, that was a, that was a, a revolutionary idea. <laughs> you're like, how am I going to live and how am I going to eat? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, but once again, everything that all these messages had worked out pretty well for me, you know what I'm saying? So, so I believed it. And so I sold sold all my stuff, and, and we were able to sell the house, and I gave my wife the, my half of the proceeds. And um, so again, I, uh, the only thing I didn't know was where I was going to go. <laughs> and one day I was in my little uh, Porsche uh, going along on the freeway in Los Angeles, and... Uh, I had this incredible, overwhelming desire uh, to go uh, to the airport, get on a plane, and leave. And so I hit the accelerator, and man, I was buzzing along the 210 freeway at about 100 miles an hour. I mean, it was incredible. And you felt like you were airborne. (laughs) Like what? You felt like you were airborne. (laughs) Another few miles an hour, and I probably would have been. But... So, after a minute, I realized I really didn't, this was crazy, you know, and so I put the brakes on, I pulled off the freeway, and I said, yeah, I could go to the airport and buy a ticket, but where am I going to go? And the the car that was in front of me had a a license plate from Hawaii on it, and there was a little decal on the back window that said, Maui. And as soon as I saw that, I had this feeling that, that, in fact, would be the place that I should go. And uh, so this is the kind of thing that was happening all through this. Uh, In the esoteric literature, we would call these things signs. (laughs) Well, man, that was a big sign for me. And I'll shorten the story a little because I go through this in the book in some detail. But it wasn't long before I found myself in Hawaii. Uh, and uh, not on the island of Maui, as I had supposed, but I was in Kauai. And um, are you familiar with uh, Kauai? Uh, no, I've never been there personally. Although you, you almost everybody's heard about it in geography. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is. It is a beautiful place. It is, I think, one of the most beautiful places in the world. And um, I ended up in a condo right on the right on the beach. And it was sort of my uh, goal or desire all my life to live on the beach. <laughs> At least till you got in a hurricane. Yeah, but, well, yeah. Well, there were no, there was a hurricane in Kauai, but it was in the '90s, and I was there in the '80s, so it was still very pristine when I was there. But anyway, I signed a lease for six months, and and that's all I did for six months was uh, was to meditate. And so I close the drapes and sit in a chair and meditate for uh, 15, 20 minutes, um, once every couple of hours, all through the day and night. And I'm here to tell you, if if you do that, if anyone does that, if you go through a meditation phase like that, big stuff happens internally. You start you start understanding how things really work. Uh, it's sort of an unfolding because this information is inside of 
everyone. But uh, it's hidden. It's hidden under these layers of dust and cobwebs. And so if we remove ourselves from our regular life and all the cares and concerns that come along with it and and silence our minds, then these cobwebs and layers of dust come off and we start seeing how things really are. And that's what happened to me over the next six months. It was a fascinating experience. And I started understanding things like reincarnation and uh, the various uh, laws like karmic law and things of that nature that are pretty well known uh, everywhere except for in America. <laughs> right. Well, they're known in America, but they're for, forbidden taboo. Yeah, it turns out that about 30% of Americans believe in reincarnation, which is in itself pretty amazing since it's not a, a teaching of the Christian church. But um, anyway, those are the kinds of things that happen. And uh, and then I started getting little messages again through, uh, through my meditation. Uh, like uh, one day I was... Uh, sitting on a couch and this one one word came into my head and it was the, uh, Brisbane was the word and uh, I was vaguely aware that that was a, a place in Australia, a city in Australia and so when my six month lease was up I ended up um, going to uh, Brisbane and so that was uh, but before then I went to a couple other places, but that was the beginning of a journey that uh, took me around the world. Wow. Well, during the course of uh, the near-death experience, did any of them occur where you were in the hospital uh, and you were out, like, a, you know, laying up there on death's bed uh, in the hospital? Yeah, it was in the hospital when I had the near-death experience. Is that what you mean? Yeah, because I'm trying to figure out how did you manage to remember the actual experience? Because I've been, um, I would have thought I would have had one one of those four times I was in a coma, but I don't remember having one. But then the thought occurred to me that they give you something to make you forget anything that happened while you're in there anyway, and sometimes a little bit before that. So I was wondering how you would manage to remember it. Oh, yeah, that's a that's an astute question. Um, because I was in liver failure, they couldn't give me any medication. Ah, see, because <laughs> most of the medication is um, detoxified in the liver, and my liver wasn't working. <laughs> so, so I was naked uh, in terms of medication, and so that's I guess that's why I was able to remember it. But I can remember it just like it was yesterday. And uh, then, oddly enough, I also at that time developed a rectal abscess when I was in the hospital. And uh, so that is what you call a pain in the butt. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm not sure I would care for a rectal abscess. (laughs) Yeah. And so once again, the the pain uh, sort of kept me connected to the earth and before I left, they, they uh, uh, fixed that problem. But uh, that was another reason that I think I was able to sort of maintain a normal mind uh, as uh, this crazy stuff was going on. Yeah, but that was a good question. 
did the thought ever occur to you that maybe any of the uh, experiences you were having were by any way influenced by alcohol? Um, by the time I started having that first uh, experience uh, with the tiles on the floor, I had been two years sober. Ah. So. Um, Very doubtful of that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And um, I I didn't drink for a long time after that. So none of the stuff that happened on the, um, on the journey itself, I think, could be related to alcohol. You know, actually, what happened to me later, uh, I found out, is, is not all that uncommon. But it, it also is called uh, awakening of the kundalini energy. Are you familiar with that term? Yes, I am. Okay. So about this really awakening? Yes. Uh, that's really what happened. And uh, I was one of the early ones uh, in America. There have always been people that have uh, awakened Kundalini. It's even rec- recorded in some of the Navajo literature. If you read it carefully, it seems like that's what happened to some of them. So it has been happening sporadically in our country where people have this just amazing opening. But in recent years, it has really accelerated a great deal. There's a a woman who is, uh, she wrote a book about this. Her name is Bonnie Greenwell, and uh, the book is called The Energies of Transformation. And... uh, during the writing of this book, she contacted a lot of the people that had the kind of experience that I just described, and uh, she kept a, a register for them. And the last I heard, she had several thousand uh, names on that register. She's up in Canada now. But uh, at, at any rate, there are literally thousands of people out there that are having similar kinds of experiences, but you're not likely to hear about it. Right. You know, they might they might be a mom, uh, they might be a retired person, they might be a youngster, and generally when these things happen, we keep it quiet. And to t- tell you the truth, I didn't talk about any of this for some 30 years. You know, these, these things all happened in 1981, and it was only recently that I wrote wrote about it. And a lot of my friends and family, when they read the, the book. They say, really? We had absolutely no idea. Because the tendency is for us to keep this information quiet. Well, yeah, because nobody wants to be ridiculed. That You figure somebody's yeah. going to make fun of you. They're not going to believe you. They're going to think you're crazy or all kinds of things. Uh, very true. Very true. And there's really no reason. Uh, because we don't want to uh, talk about stuff like this unless there's good reason to do it. Now, the reason that I'm talking about it now, and that once again refers to the title of the book, because all of humanity is is in an in-between state. Uh, We are certainly experiencing the horrific stuff of what's going on now, like in the uh, Middle East. But uh, our general consciousness is being elevated, and eventually everyone, everyone on earth, every human being 
will start seeing what I saw. Um, these uh, magical, beautiful worlds that exist beyond the one that we're so familiar with. Are you with me on that? Yeah. In fact, you know, I've seen it on TV where people have uh, went on the TV and told similar stories to yours about these kind of worlds. Exactly. And, and so we are being prepared, and that's why there's so many people that are starting to have Kundalini-type experiences, because we're getting close to the time where there's going to be a huge shift in, in consciousness. And so um, there won't be brief periods of seeing all the beauty that underlies this visible world. It will be a general experience. Everyone will feel it. And um, That would not surprise me at all. <laughs> and it's a wonderful thing to think about, isn't it? So this new consciousness is a pretty, a pretty descriptive word. Uh, has been sort of uh, prophesied in, by a lot of the world religions. Uh, you know, I think the, the Christian religion would call it heaven on earth, or perhaps the rapture. I want to say it's in Amos, but I may be wrong about the location. The Bible does in the Old Testament talk about in those days, referring to the end times, uh, you know, people will be filled with the Holy Spirit. They'll see visions. They'll have dreams, etc., which is kind of describing what you're talking about. Exactly. And so, and you brought up another interesting uh, phrase, and that's the end times. And so, what we have here is the ending of one age and the beginning of another age. Now, in the in the Hindu tradition, the uh, old age is called the age of Kali, K-A-L-I, which is translated as the machine age. And that would certainly describe what's happened with us. We got machines everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, robots and, of course, the Internet and all the electronic devices that make our lives so convenient. And the next age is the age of Aquarius. You know, you remember the musical uh, hair? This will be the dawning of the age of that one. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the age of Aquarius. Yeah. Now that I've qualified everybody with my singing voice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't give up your day job. Yeah, really. So, uh, obviously, there has to be some punctuation between one age and the next. And so, what we're approaching now is that uh, end-time punctuation where eventually something will happen that, you know, whether it be a solar flare or Lord knows what, there's so many things that could happen and a collapse of the economy or something. But there's going to be, um, you know, some sort of apocalyptic event. And uh, people have asked me periodically how I see that. And I I will say that, you know, there will certainly be suffering and many lives will be lost. But it won't be the end of the world, and certainly not everyone will perish but there will certainly be some tough times before we get to this next stage. 
but I don't think it's worth focusing on that because that's not the important thing. The important thing is where we're going afterward, um, that these uh, worlds will sort of open themselves up to us once we've thrown away our cell phones and computers. <laughs> Get back to living and, off of nature. And it will be a more natural life, yeah. And it will be a life of community. And just imagine if um, if people didn't have fear in their hearts and uh, were able to communicate with one another based on love, uh, what a different world it would be. And I think that's what uh, you could accurately call it, heaven on earth, I think. Well, i got to be so, honest with you. If it was me personally, I don't know which way I'd want to go. I mean, there's a part of me that say. Nothing to do all day long but run through the forest, swim in the lake, and grab an apple anytime you're hungry or an orange or whatever, and, you know, no real basic rules, no clock to punch, and, you know, all of that good stuff. Lay down and nap when you want. But then the other side's like, oh, I'm so addicted to my Internet. Oh, I want to watch TV. <laughs> you know, I think I'd have a be torn between two lovers, so to speak. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if that would be the way you'd feel. And and then after uh, the Internet is a fading memory, <laughs> you'll have plenty of other things to be concerned about. <laughs> but, you know, I think when things are so intentional, you know, that's the other thing that I discovered on my travels, that the world is rational. You know, it seems like everything comes at us in a sort of random and chaotic way. You know, certainly our daily lives uh, tell us that, but it's an illusion. Everything is planned. There is order. Uh, There is a grand plan. And uh, so what what you're talking about is you can't imagine how how you would feel. And I agree with that. You (laughs) can't. Because your consciousness will change as well. Just like I was telling you about seeing all this beauty. Hey, listen, if that's how you're seeing things, you don't want to be on the Internet. (laughs) You know, so your whole self will change. And so then you probably would want to run naked through the woods or whatever. (laughs) Actually, I wouldn't mind that now. (laughs) (laughs) So, in other words, what's happening is, that we've walked through some really dark times and we will continue to do so. But we are uh, leaving our human imperfections in this age and our our human imperfections will not be as manifest. They'll be there, but they won't be as manifest in the new age. And so we don't have to worry about that. It'll all be taken care of. So uh, would you call me an optimist? Oh, you sound pretty optimistic to me compared to some of the uh, evangelicals I hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so at least you've got my version there. And there's nothing wrong with that. I listen to all the versions. I mean, nothing wrong with having a little extra knowledge. Precisely. And uh, as time goes on, uh, more and more people will come to the forefront. Just like it took me 30 years literally, uh, to decide to reveal all this. There are other people out there who will come to the same conclusion. 
there's been a lot of people that's already been coming to the forefront recently. Well, there you go. You see, you probably know more about that than I do. <laughs> I'm a working guy, you know. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that working part. Do you find the holistic method, uh, method of healing uh, to be more productive than the uh, clinical method? Oh, yeah. Um, I would never go that. In fact, I haven't written a prescription in years, <laughs> you know. Um, so what we do is uh, we use uh, the uh, traditional Chinese medicine uh, and the meridian system to access the energy system of the human body. And so what we're doing is reorganizing the way the human body works. And so we can turn around problems uh, that are very difficult to handle with medication or surgery. And so it actually adds something to uh, healthcare that has never really been uh, done much in this country. Of course, it's been known in the East for a long time. You know, the Chinese figured all this out 5,000 years ago. But I also work through the chakra system, and that's a, an Eastern concept as well, the energy centers that are in the body. So if we work, it's, you know, it's like this. Why, why not prevent the problems from coming up as opposed to um, trying to treat them after they've already shown up? Right. And so that's, that's what we do with alternative care. Now, obviously, there are some problems that you want you want to go to the hospital for. You know, if you get an auto accident or something like that, you know, I'm I'm not going to be the guy you want to see. But uh, if you've got arthritis or uh, you're having depression or you know digestive problems, then I can help you a whole lot better with uh, with alternative medicine. And of course, it's spreading around our country now. Finally but it's been in the rest of the world for quite a while. You know, I was in Australia as part of my journey, and this was back in the 80s, I remind you, and uh, every town had an acupuncturist and a homeopath, you know, these little teeny towns. Uh, Maybe every fifth town would have an MD. So even in those days, they were using this as primary care medicine, acupuncture, so we're a little bit behind, but we're catching up. I'll be honest with you. I've been hearing about uh, acupuncture for years, and there's a part of me that's afraid of the idea of having that needle stuck in. Well, you know, a lot of people feel that way. And so you may be one of the people who would be uncomfortable with, uh, with the needles. Uh, but most of my folks, if they actually make it into the office, uh, are fine because they don't, they don't see the needles, number one. Um, that's helpful. And uh, number two, uh, they don't feel the needles. They don't hurt. You know, uh, everyone thinks about a hypodermic needle and a shot. You know, that's what happened when we were five years old. And those things hurt like hell. Or getting an IV inserted or any of that kind of thing. But yeah, uh, little needles. When I get an IV, I scream buddy murder. <laughs> <laughs> well, I doubt if you would scream with an acupuncture needle because they don't hurt. Nah. But anyway, I'm not trying to sell acupuncture, but uh, certainly it is a, a wonderful addition to our uh, paradigm. And I think most people are pretty dissatisfied with medicine today, not only because of all the financial stuff, but because there's so many side effects with medication and surgery. 
So if you can avoid taking medicine and avoid the operating room, you're going to be ahead of the game. Well, are there any holistic cures for uh, emphysema? Uh, emphysema is tough um, because it actually affects the anatomy in the in the lung, and we we can't turn around anatomy. I, I have a fair number of people with emphysema, and what they tell me is that the acupuncture can help about two or three or four percent. But hey, listen, if you got emphysema, that's a lot. That's a big help. So, uh, and the other thing that we do uh, with folks is we um, boost the immune system so that uh, any other problem that comes along, like a, a virus or anything like that, is more likely to leave that person alone. And so the emphysema is not going to be compounded by a pneumonia. Yeah, I was about to say, I had a huge problem with pneumonia in and out of the hospital 14 times in five months. Well, that that is a huge problem. You're lucky it didn't kill you. Uh, the doctors are wondering why it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't say we can't keep bringing you back. I don't know how much longer you're going to be able to do this. <laughs> well, well, you must have a very strong constitution, or God just wants you to keep doing what you're doing. Or he just wants me to suffer because he's mad at me for something I did growing up. <laughs> but um, you know, God doesn't hold grudges. I'm here to tell you. But uh, you know. I just I'm looking into other alternatives because let's face it, once a doctor has told you it can't be cured, we cannot cure it all. We can do is relieve the symptoms. Well, let's either look elsewhere or get no cure at all, or look elsewhere or die. Take your choice. <laughs> well, you know the interesting part is that we all die. <laughs> well, yeah, but you can prolong it if you can get rid of the emphysema. Uh, yeah, you're right, and you know most most people with emphysema now. Uh, do with all the drugs that are out there, do a lot better than they used to. And so then you take in some, uh, you know, some healthy lifestyle issues and getting plenty of sleep and exercising and all that kind of thing. And you can live a very normal life. And so, and that's true with a lot of ailments that we see in the office. You know, uh, the chances of getting better uh, by combining the therapies is, is, is much better. So it might be drugs, it might be acupuncture or homeopathy or um, supplements, uh, you know, you name it. Put put it all in there. Well, I can tell you this. Since I went and got an air purifier, I've not been back with pneumonia since. So evidently the bug was here in the house and I was inhaling it here. (laughs) Well, good. uh, You're doing your part. You're doing the work. Yeah, I figure as long as I can keep that pneumonia out of me, I can last out with emphysema indefinitely. At least that's my hope. Well, yeah, it's a good strategy. And, uh, and of course, getting plenty of rest and eating well, those things, you know, you've got to stay away from Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? Oh, don't tell me that. (laughs) (laughs) I'd rather be dead. (laughs) Do they have Kentucky Fried Chicken in the afterlife? Well, uh, let me know when you find out. <laughs> well, you're the one that's been there. Surely you can give us some kind of gleam of hope, can't you? <laughs> I'd say that that's a pretty long bet. <laughs> you know, well, you can always hope anyway. <laughs> At least that gives you something to do. So I don't want to forget, though, because I haven't mentioned this to you yet. 
Do you have a website? Oh, yes. Uh, for people that are interested in picking up the, the book, the website is easy. It's richardhousemd at... Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's richardhousemd.com. What could be easier than that? <laughs> so it's just my name and .com. And uh, you can get the book through Amazon, of course. Uh, it's on a shelf at Barnes & Noble. Um, and a lot of the other book retailers will have it available online, although most of them don't have it on a shelf yet, but I'm hoping they will soon. And uh, it seems to be doing quite well. Most people that read the book tell me this, that it's a terrific story and that it's hard to put down. Uh, and then, of course, uh, all the metaphysics that we've talked about are, are in the book. And so it gives people an idea of what where we're headed uh, and it's a joyful book. And so I think people will enjoy reading it. But I appreciate you mentioning it. Oh, yeah. I always like to mention the website if I can. I just sometimes I mess up and I get someone you know, involved in the conversation I accidentally forget to. <laughs> <laughs> Some of your guests can be very, very, very interesting. Now, we've got like uh, seven minutes left real quick. Is there anything you'd like to tell the listeners about that I didn't think to ask you about? I, I think maybe uh, I'd like to finish with, um, with just a couple of thoughts. And the first is that uh, there's a lot more going on than we, than we really understand. There are higher dimensions, like I've mentioned. Uh, there is a magical world that we will all find eventually. And that there really is a God, and there really are archangels. There really are angels, and they're all working to help us. And we're down here in the nitty-gritty experiencing life at its, uh, in all its various uh, forms, from joy to suffering, from health to uh, sickness, just like you were talking about. So, and by God, we could use some help, couldn't we? <laughs> I could use some healing. <laughs> Yes, sir. So that's one prominent message I would like to leave with, with people. And then people ask me frequently, well, what can I do? And uh, aside from whatever your spiritual practices are, and as a matter of fact, they all say the same thing. What should we do? We should love each other. It's very hard. But if we, in fact, follow the words of Jesus or Buddha or Muhammad or any of the great souls, we would love our neighbors as ourselves. And as, as one fellow said to me the other day, no, that's wrong. We need to love our neighbor more than ourselves. <laughs> I said, well, I stand corrected on that. So, so love is how we transcend our own limitations that if we are loving people, then we are not being angry with them. If we are loving people, we are not being selfish. Uh, and so all of those kinds of things will bring us closer to God because it is true that we're all on a spiritual quest, a spiritual journey. Sometimes it takes the form of a journey around the world like I had. Most of the time it doesn't. Most of the time we're we're dealing with very common problems. We're raising kids, and there's not enough money, and there's no gas in the car, and, you know, all these kinds of things. 
But there's more going on. Those things are sort of our curriculum that just like in grade school, um, we have to learn before we can ascend to the next level. And so by paying attention in your life, by treating others as best you can, and uh, being quick to forgive, all these kinds of things that we've heard over and over again, well, if you actually do them, it will really lead you somewhere beautiful. How is that, Royce? Well, then, you know, that sounds pretty good, but I'm going to be totally, absolutely 100% honest here. For me, what I find even tougher is to try to love everybody for the right reasons because I think what happens in so many cases, whether we realize that it's happening or not, and a lot of times we do not realize it, is that we love people for selfish reasons like uh, this is what God would want us to do and we want to go to heaven or I want to be a good person so I know I'm supposed to. But then are you really, truly loving that person, or are you loving a concept? Well, I'll throw this in. Uh, you can fake it until you make it. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually heard that expression before. Maybe there's something to it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, if, listen, love is so powerful that if you love for the wrong reasons, eventually they become the right reason. How's that? Uh you try anything once, but trying to force yourself to love for the right reasons doesn't seem to be very easy either. <laughs> no, it doesn't. You know, and it is. Hey, did anyone say this was easy? No, and we are human after all, and there is a part of everybody, including myself, that has a that certain amount of number one in them that, that always seems to come first. It, there's nothing wrong with that because uh, that's our ego. And if if you didn't have an ego, you couldn't make decisions, you couldn't show up for work, and you couldn't love. So our ego does stand in the way many times. But eventually, what if you have the concept that we have a lower self, which would be the ego, and a higher self, would you be the which soul? That, yeah, the and so that higher self eventually uh, will sit in the pilot seat uh, more and more. But you'll always have a lower self there. Everyone does, even the saints. If you read the stories of the saints, they all have this very uh, difficult battle with their lower and higher self. So what we want to do is empower the higher self and tuck that little lower self away as best we can. And uh, we can do that on a daily basis. Okay. Well, Richard, it's come up just about time on as I show that we've got like one minute, not enough to, you know, quibble over here. But I want to thank you for coming on the air, uh, telling all my listeners about your book. I plan to put a link to it. Uh, actually, I plan to upload this to YouTube. And once it's uploaded, I'm going to send you the uh, link to YouTube where you can find it at so you can share it. And I want to appreciate you coming and talking and sharing with us. And you've been a fantastic guest. I've enjoyed this hour with you. And I hope you to consider coming back again in the future. Well, thank you, Royce. It's been my pleasure, and I and I wish you good luck with all your issues, and I appreciate you uh, asking me to be on your show. Okay, doke. Well, with that, I guess we're going to call this in here a wrap, and uh, I'll be in touch in a couple, three days with that link. Thank you so much, Royce. Right, Bye-bye. Thank, thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. Y'all come back now. You here? Bye-bye. <laughs>
Oh, I've still got you hanging, don't I? 